It's the 16th century when Jesuit missionary Matteo Ricci went to China. And when he went into China, he took with him a number of artifacts, a number of paintings, and a variety of things, all to kind of explain, if you will, the scriptures. I remember one time I was in Africa and realizing that it's going to be really difficult to tell these folks who Jesus is and why he came if they have no idea of how sin entered into this world. They've all experienced it. They know it. Intuitively, they know it. And I found myself, and I'm not a very good artist. In fact, I can kind of mess up on stick figures. But I found myself kind of taking a stick and I just drew a picture of the world and talked about a God who is outside of the world and we who live on the world and how sin entered into it. And I was trying to figure out how to show the effects of sin. And I narrated the entirety of the scriptures. And that's really what Matteo was trying to do. And he discovered that the Chinese in particular loved the story of the virgin birth. And they loved the idea. They really didn't have a problem with that. I mean, Joseph did, but you can understand. But they, they kind of fell in love with this serene picture, this beautiful kind of the shepherds and all of those who were gathered there. And then he brought out a cross and it was like they just repelled. They didn't like the cross. They wanted to go back to the virgin birth. If you're going home today, probably most of you are, grab all of your Christmas cards What you're going to find is that your Christmas cards let us know that we're all a whole lot more like the Chinese than we realize. Every Christmas card you've got is going to have a beautiful picture, a nice star, and shepherds around a manger, and, you know, none of them are going to say, glad you aren't an innkeeper, you know, kind of like... They're never going to talk about the disappointment. They're never going to talk about any of that. They're going to talk about the, the beauty and the glory. And, and we're going to sing songs like no crying he makes. That's all Christmas from our perspective. It's not wrong. It's what Matthew and Luke tell us. But today I want to give you a different picture. Not my own. It's from Scripture. It's heaven's perspective of Christmas. Not Luke, not Matthew, not a shepherd, not Joseph, not even an angel, if you will. It's heaven's perspective. What happened? What was going on around that birth? And if God were to write a Christmas card, he might say... Merry Christmas, let there be war. Like, really? I know no one's going to buy the card. Maybe a few guys who belong to the NRA. That's about three-fourths of our church. (laughs) But the fact is, we want stars and shepherds. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he's on the island of Patmos. It's about a, you know, a couple stones throw off of the coast of Turkey. He's sequestered there as his church is under severe, severe torture. 
And God gives them this revelation. It's called revelation. It's, it's a picture of the things to come. But periodically, God does this flashback. And chapter 12 is a flashback. It's about 80 years prior to when John was living at this time. And it takes us back, and there's three in particular people, or if you will, individuals, that John sees in this vision. The first one is a woman. She's clothed with the sun. It says, the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the crown of 12 stars on her head. We don't know who it is. The text doesn't tell us. This is. So everyone guesses. And over the years, over 2,000 plus years, we've all guessed. Is this Eve? Well, Eve, what, what, what are the 12 stars? Is this the nation of Israel? And maybe the 12 stars of the 12 tribes? Well, we all know the mother of Jesus is Mary. Is it Mary? John doesn't seem to think that it's critical that you and I know who this is. He doesn't say, yep, you've got to know. He can't interpret this passage without knowing who this woman is. Maybe it's because, in a sense, John wants you to understand it's a representation of all three of them. Maybe in this story, John is going to take the Garden of Eden and that woman and the prophecy given in front of her to Satan on that day. And maybe he's going to tie it together and it's almost like John is taking this snapshot, telling us this story, grabbing various parts along the way. The second person in this, if you will, story, this play, John tells us is a child. This child, he says in verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now it's fascinating what John does here. He takes the birth Christ, takes you through his death, resurrection, and at the end of this verse, verse 5 alone, we all go all the way to the ascension when he again enters back into heaven. What does it tell us about him? Well, he's a ruler. He's a ruler that rules the world. And he comes in, and third, John talks to us about this grotesque seven-headed dragon. Now again, John wants you to not miss this one, so he gives you clarification on it. Verse 9 tells you exactly who it is. It says, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. All of this, from John's perspective, is focused upon what? A man who is born, a a, a baby who is born, whom Satan has declared his intention is to destroy him. No starry night, no shepherds, no sheep. What the scripture tells us is that God says, Satan has come into this world waiting passionately to destroy the Son of God, 
That's his sole intention. That's his sole focus. What is Christmas then? Well, from God's perspective, it's war. I know that sounds a little weird to put together Christmas and war. Maybe it's easier this year because of what's going on in Israel. But it's always been that way. It's never been from God's perspective this quiet little night. God sent his son into this world. And when he did, he understood the intentions of Satan and he knew his desire. And so God, the text seems to flow in this way. He marshals up his archangel Michael, and he tells him, get all of your friends together. My son is going to need you. Now you and I look at this and say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought that battle happened way earlier because the text seems to flow into verse seven. It says, the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So this is Mary and she is protected at the birth of Christ. And then it comes into verse seven. Then there was a war in heaven. Whoa, 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 time out. Lord, I thought that happened earlier. That happened before the creation of the world. That happened before Adam and Eve. All of that stuff, I thought that Satan was swept out of heaven with one third of the demons and sent down to hell or sent into the world. I thought that happened earlier. And John seems to put it all together in one setting. Why? Maybe in the time and lineage, this battle has occurred. And maybe when the son is born, it's occurring. And maybe when you and I are living, it's occurring. And God looks over to Michael and he says, Michael, my son is going to need you. I'm sending him to this earth as a baby. And I can only imagine Michael thinking to himself, Father, I've never questioned you, but can I on this one? Really, you want to send a baby into this world when you know Satan has declared, I will destroy him. And the father says, yeah. And the scriptures unpack this and say that there was this war in heaven and Michael had amassed all of his angels and they fought against the dragon. And against the dragon and his angels, we typically call them demons, and they fought back. Later in the text, it's going to tell us that Satan has kind of given up on the idea of destroying the sun, and he goes after you. And in that sense, the battle still is on. Eugene Peterson makes this statement. He goes, this is not the nativity story that we grew up with. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. But what it really does is it takes us back to this moment in the garden. Remember back there in Genesis 3? Where Mary gets a visitation by an angel when Satan is there in the garden and the angel comes and says to Satan, not to Mary, but she overhears it. And he says to Satan, you're going to wound my son. The seed of the woman, you're going to wound. But mark my word, 
God says, I will crush you. You see, from heaven's perspective, when God looks down upon his son, it's a statement to Satan. I am at war with you. And the one that you will seek to crush and the one that you will seek to destroy is actually going to destroy you. Garner all your demons. Do your best because I will take you out. It's really what we've just recently heard. When Israel said, we declare war, this is our intent. And that's really what God did with Jesus. Satan, I'm at war with you. I'm not going to look past what you've done. I'm not going to forget what you've done. I'm not going to forgive what you've done. God forgives everyone. He does not forgive Satan. He doesn't restore him. He promises to defeat him. And for that reason, God says there is evil in the world and you are the single cause of it and I will eliminate you. That's Christmas from God's perspective. Because the number one and the only way that God is ever going to defeat Satan is through Christ. We know in this text, it says, now I have come to bring salvation. This is in verse 10. And the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority is in his Christ. Why? Because he's the one who was born. He's the one who lived sinlessly. He is the one who died on the cross for us to defeat the enemy. And he's the one who rose. Satan, round up all of your demons. It's time for war. And when Christ was born, God says there's a new ruler in the house. When the angels swept out when Michael took on the enemy and it says one third of the demons went with him. It says they were sent to the earth where he does what? Notice what what his assignment is. He says the great dragon was hurled down the ancient serpent called the devil who leads what? The world astray. And he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. This is his playground. You're living in a sense in his backyard. Ah, but God sends his son into the world. For what purpose? The scripture says back there in verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will what? Rule all the nations. Now we know that that's Christ because it's never been said of any other person ever, of any ruler, that they ruled the world. The term to rule means to shepherd. So it's not like a a general. It's more like a shepherd. And his scepter is more like a staff, that, uh, like the shepherd we know in Psalm 23 that guides and protects and shields the sheep. It's not there to beat you. It's not there to, you know, uh, to cause pain. It's there to protect you. It's there to guide you. It's there to shield you from all that the enemy wants to do in your life. This new ruler has come and the angel announces to Mary, he's going to be great. He's going to be mighty. And the scripture says his name will be Emmanuel. 
Yeah, we've always looked at that as like, that's really sweet. God with us, God for us. I like that. But think about it for a moment. When God showed up with Adam and Eve, were they all, oh, wow, this is nice. God with us. What did Adam and Eve do when God showed up in the garden? They hid. Why? Because Emmanuel, to those who have rejected God, Emmanuel is judgment. It's just like when you've been dipping your hand in the cookie jar and you have nestled your way up into the bedroom and you hear your mother say, Mark, you don't think to yourself, oh, the presence of my mother. This is so nice. Mom, I'm so glad you've come to join me. She opens the door and her Standing at the door of your bedroom is not a declaration of joy. (laughs) Crumbs coming out of the side of your mouth and she looks at you. What have you been doing? Oh, just rejoicing that you're a great cook, mom. (laughs) You see, when you're disobedient, Emmanuel's not a good word. When you've sinned, Adam and Eve teach us. When God shows up, you hide. The ruler's going to come and he's going to rule with an iron scepter. And to those who know him, Emmanuel will be a gift. To those who don't know him, he will be a judgment. And this Christmas gift is not just a son who will rule, but it's an invitation. Why? Because sin entered into this world. That's what verse nine tells us. The great dragon was hurled and the ancient scepter or serpent was called the devil or Satan and he leads the whole world where? Astray. You know what that word means. It's the same thing you use when you find out that your son or your daughter has made friends with a group of people that are about malevolent behavior. And you look at them not as, boy, am I glad my son has a good friend. You look at him as you're leading my son to his destruction. Sin entered into this world. And when that sin entered into this world, God said, I need to save you. I need to deliver you. And so he announces, he says, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. What's the invitation? Would you like a new king? Would you like a new ruler? Would you like to come under the authority of somebody who wants to give you life? Would you like to come under the authority of somebody who invites you to rest and who invites you to peace and who invites you to forgiveness and and, and wants to remove the accusation and the condemnation that tends to hang over you? Would you like to be saved? You see, Satan, the scripture tells us, comes with a passion to kill and destroy. God comes that they might have life. What's the invitation? It's the invitation that you have today. 
Would you like to leave a world where you have to fight your own fights, where the world is uncertain, and when you die, you have no idea where you're going to end up? And would you like to receive an invitation from God? That's what Christmas is about. It's about God declaring war with the enemy. It's about God coming in and and introducing a new ruler and introducing a new king who has the intention of your best. And it's about an invitation. Would you like to be set free? Would you like to enter his kingdom? Would you like to be rescued? It's Christmas. And a lot of people are going to have a lot of fun. But you know what else happens at Christmas? People are reminded of the, the shape of their family. I was talking to a lady yesterday. Her dad has died a number of months ago. She wants to get to January. The reason is because she lives with enormous regret. Her and her dad didn't have a good relationship. There's things that she said she regrets. There's things that she didn't say that she regrets. There's issues that she allowed to separate her and her dad that today seem so small and insignificant. She can't forgive herself. She has no concept or no hope or no belief that God could forgive her. She lives under that condemnation. Christmas is not a delight to her. She still has a good relationship with her mom who had separated from her dad. But the reality is no amount of conversation with her mom deals with the regret of her life. And that, by the way, my friends, is what Satan's greatest passion for you is. He's come as the accusers of our brothers. And every day, he seeks to remind you of failures of your past things that you've said, missed opportunities. And he wants you to live with the heaviness of that and the regret of that. He wants to remind you of five years ago when you didn't stay sober and you got drunk and you ruined Christmas and you still can't just get that off your shoulder. There's no freedom in you. And, And God says, and here's his invitation, would you like to walk out of that? Would you like me to defend you in court? When the enemy comes up to the judge and has a litany, a a long vita of everything that you have done wrong, would you like Christ to come up and look the judge in the eye and say, paid in full, sir. Paid in full. Free. From God's perspective, free. Christmas is about an invitation and it's about a power that has the capacity to defeat evil. They overcame him, the scripture says, verse 11. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. What word? What what are we talking about? We know what the blood of the lamb is. That's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's this word? It's the word that you gain as a follower of Christ. I 
have not done a thing to save me. By grace, I'm saved through faith. It's a gift from God. Has nothing to do with my work. Has nothing to do with the fact I've been a pastor for a few years. Has nothing to do with the fact that Carrie and I have tithed. Has nothing to do with the fact that I've served people. It had nothing to do with that. It's I'm saved by grace through faith. I have believed the one who was sent for me, who died for me. And his death, his resurrection is my salvation. That's the testimony that you have. What is that power? It's the power to defeat the enemy. If you read on in the text, it says in verse 12, therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. That's that old picture. Emmanuel is beautiful for the saved, but for the unsaved, it's a statement of judgment. The text says he, who's he talking about? Satan, he's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And he knows from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman, but the, the, the earth swallowed it up. He's defeated. There's a sense of which John paints this picture. There was a battle in heaven. It happened before the foundation of the world. And Michael and his angels kicked Satan out. There's a battle. It happened when Christ was born. Herod was chosen as a tool of the enemy. And he set this edict that all of these boys, two and under, were going to be killed. And they sought to destroy Jesus. But he was protected. And the angels stepped in and they battled the enemy. And then it says that the dragon was enraged at the woman, verse 17. He was enraged at her and he went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? That's you. It's you. John tells us that yes, Christmas is about a battle. It's about a war. But that battle, that war still continues today. Because he's going after the offspring, it says. And those who obey the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the enemy is going after you. Christmas, it's about a silent night. It's about shepherds. It's about an innkeeper that probably has to live with the rest of his life regretting that he said, I don't have any room. I wondered sometimes, you know, about that innkeeper. I wonder what heaven's going to be like for him if he's saved. I wonder if he's embarrassed every time he sees Mary. (laughs) And yet that battle continues. And that battle is you. Christmas is a declaration of war. But it's also a promised victory. 
And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying. And the scripture says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just like us. Yet he is without sin. And Jesus is pleading with the Father and he says to the Father, Father, the enemy wants to destroy them. And the Father says to Michael, Michael, round up your angels again. We're going to battle. We're going to battle to save all of those whom my son died for. We're going to battle to the ones that I've called, the ones that I'm drawing. We're going to battle for the little 16-year-old girl who, who lives in a home where there's not a testimony of God. We're, we're going to battle for the little 12-year-old boy who, who was raised in a home that the entire family loves Christ. But every day, the enemy whispers in his heart, do you really believe in God? Do you really think God hears your prayers? And there's a battle going on. That's what Christmas is. It's God's declaration to the enemy, I'm at war. But it's also God's declaration to the enemy and to you. When Christ walked out of that grave, he defeated sin and the devil. The scripture tells us Satan doesn't give up easy. He knows he's defeated and he knows his time is short. But my friends, that doesn't eliminate the battle that you're in right now is real. And some of you are in a battle of rejecting God and you've rejected him all your life. And you don't want to believe him and you don't want to trust him. And you thought that that was all just an issue of your rational mind. If you trust the scriptures, and I do, there is a battle that's happening even beyond you. It's in the heavenly realms. It's between the angelic beings and the demonic realm. It's between the Father and it's between Satan. It's between Christ the Redeemer and Satan the Destroyer. And he wants to destroy your life. And he wants to ruin it. And he'll use any tool he can get from alcohol to failed relationships to your absolute idolatry of science. He will use anything. But you need to understand from scripture. God is persistent in his love for you. And when he sent his son to fight for you and to die for you, he tells you, he will give his very best because that's how much he loves you. Christmas is about a declaration of war. It's about a ruler who has come to replace the one who destroys, but it's about an invitation. And the invitation is, will you let Christ defeat the enemy in your life? And only you can answer that invitation. <laughs>